You know, I have to, I have to admit, as I uh, look back uh, on my own life and my own growth as, as a disciple, I think my response to the things that God uh, has desired for me is often a lot like uh, what Quinn's response was this morning. No, thank you. Right? When God wants me to go this direction or, or, or make this change or, or, or pursue this path, I would much prefer to say, no, thank you. But I think uh, it's important uh, for us as we consider this topic of, of discipleship to move beyond uh, the no thank you, and to move beyond uh, what we want and what we desire for our own lives, and to embrace that which God has in store for us. Because we believe that the the life that Jesus has in store for us is is much greater, much more wonderful, much more beautiful than anything we could ever create for ourselves. And so as we move from talking about our identity in Jesus, that identity is people who are deeply loved, such that our God would give His own Son in our place. As we consider our identity as people who are truly living because of the work of Jesus, We recognize that this new life and this new identity that we have in Jesus, it reshapes who we are. And it reshapes the things in life that we value. It reshapes the things that we set our hearts on. You know, what's interesting is that Martin Luther, in the large catechism, he he identifies these things that we value and set our hearts on with the God that we worship. This is what Luther writes in the large catechism when he's talking about the first commandment. That simple commandment, you shall have no other gods. And here's how Luther defines what it means to have a god. He says, anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say that is really your god. There are some who think they have god and everything they need when they have money and property. They trust in them and boast in them so stubbornly and securely that they care for no one else. They too have a God, mammon by name, that is money and property, on which they set their whole heart. This is the most common idol on earth. Therefore, I repeat, the correct interpretation of this commandment is that to have a God is to have something in which the heart trusts completely. To have a God is to have something in which our hearts trust completely. Our God is its those things that we, we desire, those things that we value in life above all else. And what I find very interesting about Luther's description of what it means to have a God, I find it interesting because he really sort of rules out the whole notion of atheism. Because even though you may not profess faith in a certain uh, spiritual being or some deity, everyone has something that they set their hearts on. We all have that thing that we trust in completely. It may not be a deity, it may not be a spiritual being, but we all have a God in the sense that we have something that we trust in completely. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, 
For us as Christians, oftentimes the things that we trust in and set our hearts on don't necessarily correspond with the God that we worship, do they? Luther identifies that, uh, that the most common idol on earth is money. And that was back in the 16th century, and not a lot has changed, has it? Right? We still find ourselves putting our trust and, and desiring money and wealth above all things. That still remains one of our most common idols on earth. Right? Because we think that money, it brings freedom. Right? If I have more money, then I can control my own life. I'm, I'm free to make more choices. No one can control what I can or can't do if I just have wealth. You know, just last week, I was, uh, I was driving my daughter to daycare. And I had just dropped my wife off at work and was making my way up north to, to take Della to daycare. And I was listening to the radio, and the radio DJ brought up the lottery, which at that point was uh, $1.5 billion. And, and I remember listening to that and, and being compelled... I resisted, but, but I really wanted to just pull over at the next convenience store <laughs> and, and buy a ticket or ten. And, and what's interesting is, is I, uh, I have some kind of not good feelings of, about the lottery. I, I don't really care for it, uh, and, and I won't get into those reasons right now, but I just remember thinking I was so willing to set aside my principles... Because I was thinking, man, what I could do with that money, the house that I could buy, the things that I could have if I had that money. See, my head might have said, Marcus, you know, you really don't care for the lottery, but my heart, it just said, jackpot. (laughs) Right in that moment, the thing that I valued was displayed. That I saw that in having more money, having more wealth, I would have more freedom. I observed in myself that money is oftentimes the thing that I set my heart on. The thing that I trust in and depend upon more than anything else in the world. Now money may be the most common one, but it's not the only one. A lot of us, uh, we're willing uh, to go through great lengths for our families, right? Because it's in our security and our sense of satisfaction that we get from our relationships in life that, that we will do just about anything for those things. Now, family's not a bad thing, of course, but is family the thing that we are called to rely and depend upon above all else? You know, for some of us, it might be political causes. We think that if we could just make this certain change to the way that our country runs or the way the world is, well, then things would be better. The world would be this better place. People, there would be more human flourishing. There would be, there would be peace and prosperity if, if just this change was made. And we're willing to go through great lengths to see those things happen. Now, again, political causes are, are, are not a bad thing. And in fact, we need people who are dedicated to change, right? Because there's a lot of bad out there. There's a lot of injustice that needs to be fought against. But once again, 
our political causes, the thing that we're really going to set our hearts on? Are those the things that we value above all else? Is that what we're going to depend upon? See, I think one of, the, one of the best ways for us to discover what it is that we value in life is asking ourselves, what is the thing that I would sacrifice for? What is the thing that I would give up everything else in order to have? Some of us, it's money, our careers, our families, our political agendas. What is that thing that you value above all else that thing that you rely and depend upon that you would give up everything for. You know, given how often we tend to, to make a God and, and we tend to value money above all else, it's no surprise that when Jesus is teaching, he teaches a lot about money. And he uses the language of money and treasure quite often in the scriptures to talk about the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus, he's uh, actually standing or sitting in a boat and teaching this great crowd that's on the shore that had gathered around him, and he's teaching them in parables. He tells these seven parables about the kingdom of God. And toward the end of these seven parables, he tells these two that are almost identical. And, and Jesus, he, he almost sounds a little bit like a broken record, but when Jesus repeats himself, we should note that a lot of times he's trying to tell us something really important. And so Jesus tells this parable. He says, The kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now Jesus doesn't really tell us very much about this man, who he was, where he came from, where he's going. But what we do know is that somehow, some way, he stumbles upon this treasure that's hidden in a field. And in stumbling upon this treasure, everything changes. Immediately, he, he's willing to go and sell everything that he has so that he can buy this field and that he can call this treasure his own. And Jesus says that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that when one stumbles upon it and finds it, he's willing to go and sell everything that he has in order to call it his own. And then Jesus tells another parable. He says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now notice this time Jesus, he tells us a little bit, more about the person who finds this treasure. He tells us that it's a merchant. And this merchant, is, is in, he's in search of these fine pearls. And, and you have to imagine that he had gone far and wide in search of these pearls, gone to foreign lands, exotic places in search of pearls that were very, very valuable to him. And then he finds this one pearl. This one pearl of, of great value. This one pearl more beautiful than all the other pearls in the world. It's the mother of pearls, if you will. And he is so captivated by this pearl that he is willing to sell all the others that he possessed. He's willing to sell everything that he has so he can buy that one pearl. 
Jesus says that is what the kingdom of God is like. All of our other pearls are worthless before it. See, I think Jesus' point is this, that whether you stumble upon it or whether you've spent your entire life in search of it, when you encounter the beauty and the magnificence of the kingdom of God, everything radically changes. Everything else in life pales in comparison to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, it's, it's worth giving up everything for so that we might call it our own. You see, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to value something very different than the rest of the world values. We're called to not value money above all else. We're not called to value our families or political beliefs above all else because we don't believe that these are the things that are going to bring about our ultimate happiness and satisfaction. The object of our worship is entirely different because we value and we worship the one who gave up everything that we would be called his own. You see, in Jesus, we discover that we are his treasure hidden in a field. In Jesus, we are are a treasure hidden in a field, buried in sin and death, that he was willing to give up everything, even his own life, that we would be called his own. We discover in Jesus that we are his pearl of great value. And when that demanded that he sell everything, and when he even had to bear the shame of the cross. In his joy, he took that punishment for you. See, that is how deeply loved you are by the one who brings the kingdom of heaven. And in that love, we discover what it means to truly live. To truly live is to live in the love of Jesus Christ. It's to come and to find who we are and what He has done for us. And the life that we're called to live is one that is lived out in the continual worship of Jesus. That now everything that we do and everything that we have is oriented in worship of Jesus. See, our call to give up everything, it may not be actually going and selling all that we have. But now everything that we have, our money, our families, our our political beliefs, are oriented toward worshiping Jesus with all that we are and all that we do. That it's no longer meant to to fill these self-serving purposes that we have. But everything in life is oriented around this ongoing and continual worship of Jesus. So suddenly our money becomes a way for us to worship Jesus with our generosity. Our our work and our careers, they become ways for us to worship Jesus. The way we love and serve our families, they become opportunities for us to proclaim and worship the name of Jesus. Even those political causes are a way for us to go and to extend to people the mercy and the love of our risen King Jesus. 
See, that desire to value Jesus and worship Jesus above all else, that's that's precisely why we gather here each and every week. Because what do we do when we gather here and worship? Right, we hear who Jesus says we are. Right, we hear that story of a God who loves us so much that he would give his only son for us. We hear that story retold And as that story is retold, we're reminded that we are people who are deeply loved and that we truly have life in Jesus. And we receive those gifts of God through His Word. We receive it at the altar. We receive it in baptism. And we respond to those gifts by by joining together in praise, in songs, in shouts of thanksgiving. We gather in worship here so that we would prepare be prepared to go and worship out there. That everything that we are and everything that we, would, that we do would be oriented around worshiping Jesus, around proclaiming the name of Him who loved us so much, Him who valued us so much that He would give Himself for us. And so that's why for us as disciples of Jesus, our central value is simply worshiping Him. Our central value is the treasure that is Jesus and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that he's poured out for us. In Ephesians 2, uh, Paul, he paints this picture of what it looks like when the lives of God's people are oriented in this worship of Jesus. And, And he paints this picture saying, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice how Paul, he uses this language of of citizenship and this language of family to describe us as the people of God. See, the work of Christ, it not only joins us and reconciles us to God, but it also joins us to one another. That in being made a part of the people of God, we are joined to a community that is united in the worship of Jesus. A community that we are told is being built into a temple. It's being made into the dwelling place of God by the power of the Spirit. And so with this in mind, right alongside that worship of Jesus, we deeply value the role of community in our lives as disciples. Because it's through that community that we are taught what it looks like to go and worship Jesus. And it's through that community and our our joint worship of Jesus that the world is truly going to come and know the goodness and the salvation of our God. Through that community, we proclaim that we have a God who deeply loves us and a God who has brought us to life through the resurrection of His Son. See, where else is it that we're going to be reminded who we are in Jesus? Where else is it that the world is going to be able to hear of this Jesus and the love that He offers us? It's through the community of God's people. It's through the church that that message is proclaimed to us as we proclaim it to one another, and that message is also proclaimed to the world. 
And so that is what our life of discipleship is aimed toward. That we would deeply value Jesus and worship him above all else. That all of our other treasures and all of our other pearls in life would would fall by the wayside as we stand before the beauty and the magnificence of his grace and forgiveness. And we're not alone in that journey. Because we've been given the gift of the community of God's people, the church. That community that's aimed toward teaching us and shaping us in the likeness of Christ. A community that teaches us what does it mean to worship Jesus with all that we are and all that we do. And in doing so, we can proclaim to one another and to the world outside the love and the life that we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.